open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Timothy. I failed my proofreading test this week and wrote 2 Timothy. It's 1 Timothy. So on screen it's 2 Timothy and that's incorrect because I didn't catch it. In fact, I typed it wrong and didn't catch it. Sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Starting a series... We've all heard preachers say, well, God told me to do this. And sometimes we wonder who they were listening to. Have you ever had that experience? Someone says, God told me. And then they come up with some wild-eyed theory or some, kind of, some practice. And so today, this, I'll begin a several-week series of things that God would actually say to you. If God were to speak to you in a lot of ways, if he just looked you in the eye, what would he say to you? And so the first one is, very simply, let me help you. And we're going to talk about why God would say that and why we need God's help and so on and so forth. So 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as I said, this will be a several week series, several parts. So I hope you'll take notes, stay awake and all those things, okay? As always, we pray. We pray that God would teach us and guide us. That he would comfort us. We pray for people who are hurt. You know, we've been focused on a football player for the last week that had a serious injury or something. He seems to be alive and doing okay today. We continue to pray for him. I observe though that for some reason we pray for one individual. One individual captures our nation's attention but we ignore a whole lot of others and I don't know why that is. There's something sociological there but as a people we've focused on that one man who needed prayers this week and appropriately we prayed. People that may not ever pray, prayed this week for him, and that's all right. I'm not critical of that at all. We understand we need help. So today we pray for God's help. I'll give you a few moments where you're seated to pray quietly, and then I'll close. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this life that we have in this great nation. We are free and well-fed. We have doctors and heaters and air conditioners and cars and all the modern trappings of life. And we have so many things that so many have gone without. We thank you. Thank you, Father, for this life we have in Jesus. Salvation, the indwelling spirit, your scripture which teaches us. The church which gives us a place to gather with like-minded people. Where we might study your word and worship you together. Thank you Father. You have spoken to us through these actions. You love us and we thank you for that. We pray this morning Father. First we ask for mercy. We do our best and yet we fail you. Forgive us for our sin and our apathy for the lack of love for others, for focusing on the material and ignoring that which is truly important. Forgive us, Father. We ask for a cleansing that only you can give. We claim that blood of Jesus would cleanse us, that we might have hope in this life and in the life to come. Father, this morning we pray 
for your actions in our lives. We each bring special concerns. Be with us, Father. We pray that you would work through us, work within us, work in ways that can benefit us. We ask for your blessings, Father. We ask that you would help us to be representatives of the grace that you have given us. Help us to love people, to be gracious and kind and forgiving. Help us to live lives that are worthy, godly, and examples of the grace that you have given us. As always, Father, we pray for those around us. We know in our own congregation there are families who struggle with life and death issues. Give them comfort and guidance. We pray for our leaders, for those who have power over us. Give them wisdom and discernment. Give them courage to make good decisions that will ignore the pressures of the crowds. We pray for those in Ukraine at war. We know that there are other nations at war too. Father, bring peace to our lands. Father, we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wish I could say that when you see people that have done dumb things, it's because they don't know anything. They don't know any better. And sometimes that's true. But probably, if you're honest, intelligent, capable people do dumb things. Have you ever noticed that? And that's us, by the way. We've been schooled. We've heard sermons. We went to school. Moms and dad has taught, taught us things. And, and still we do those things that are not only ignorant and hurtful, they're often sinful and they hurt us. Our video for today is a story, a testimony of one who did just this very thing. Debbie? I came to know the Lord when I was a young child. I received Jesus Christ in my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I went to a private school. I was raised in a Christian home and I attended church regularly. When I was about 18 years old, I started to just dip into things a little bit and party and uh, just started to find my place, I guess, in the world. And while doing so, I became pregnant with my daughter. Um, at the age of 18, I delivered when I was 19, and um, my parents thought it fit that we would be married. I had barely known him at all, and uh, so I was married in the year 1997 to someone that I barely even knew. Him and I attended church, he was saved, and we attended church regularly, and life just set in. And when life set in, we began not attending anymore. And uh, the biggest reason I have to say why we stopped attending church was because there was a fallout inside the church. Him not being strong enough and me going through all the things that I was going through wasn't strong enough to keep up both of us. And uh, we ended up just falling apart, basically. We were on the road to divorce. Um, I tried to make it work. I was, my parents were married for a very long time, and I believed in marriage. So that devastation kind of sent me in a crazy place. I was 21 years old, started hanging out with the wrong crowd, and 
I felt as though I was let off a leash and I was going to just experience life and party it up. I met my son's father and was pregnant at the age of 23 with my second child. Because of goals, I started to get life a little bit more on track. I purchased my own home. I still felt this desire that I needed to be with somebody. Four years ago, I started dating someone which brought me to my bottom. He was an alcoholic, he was a drug addict. I didn't even know it. I thought that I could give my heart to somebody as I did for so many years. I gave my heart to people. I had given myself so much to this person that now I was left broken. I was not only left broken emotionally, I was broken spiritually, financially, and I was at the bottom of my pit, as God would say. And I knew that's where God wanted me to be. He brought me to this place that I could, only way up was Him. And uh, He put some amazing people in my life who prayed for me for the last 10 years. And finally, I just, I needed something. I needed counseling. I couldn't afford it, so I turned to the church. And uh, when I did, it was probably the best thing that I ever did for myself. God just continually put the right people in my life. He continually put the church in my life. He continually put love into my life. I was given a second job to um, pay off some of those bills. God had just put all these great things in my life so that I could take care of all the things that I had just messed up. He showed me that I could only get what I needed through Him. Even today, He's showing me that I can't fulfill myself with another human being, that He needs to be my first priority, and that I need to make Him number one in my life. Starting from the morning when I, get, when I wake up, I need to thank God that I'm alive today. I think that although we're all still lonely at times because we want that physical person in our life or we've lost a loved one um, or we're not married or um, we don't have that relationship that we desire we're broken people but god does his best work in brokenness and i know that i'm loved so god said to crystal let me help. When God sees sinful people who mess up, he says, he speaks to you. Let me help. So today we're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you would turn to that chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Where Paul speaks to a young pastor friend named Timothy. Trying to teach him how to communicate this message of grace to others. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'll read verses 1 through 6. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. Paul writing, a young pastor. The young pastor was struggling. He was Christian, obviously. Knew what scriptures he had. Had a lot to learn, making some mistakes. Paul would hear of stories that 
of things that were going on in the church. And as you know, the way a church is can affect you. And so it's important that the pastors have their heads together and do the right thing. So Paul was instructing Timothy. And, and it sounds like, and you know what we can do, we can read scripture and see what it says and try to go backwards because most of scripture in the New Testament is resp a response to a particular situation. So probably the young pastor was forgetting some things was struggling with people in the church and doing his best and he needed a little bit of help. So God was saying through Paul to Timothy, let me help you. See, preachers are in the same condition. I wish I could say that preachers were better, but we're not. We're just like you. Now, I knew this growing up simply because I watched our preachers, but then I went to college with 600 preachers and I realized they really weren't any better than anybody else. In fact, they're not as good usually. Or maybe I just got to know him too well. But anyway, God speaks to us too. Let me help. So on screen is this first idea, this idea that Timothy had to be reminded of. That primarily, our problems are rooted in our broken spiritual condition. Sometimes it's a lack of knowledge, but not usually. Usually, it's just a matter of making the wrong decision, making poor choices, doing things that hurt us and hurt other people, and we get ourselves into trouble. And so, that's oftentimes not a situation of knowledge, but it's a situation of allowing God to lead us and being obedient to his teachings. So, we have to remember that. We are often our own worst enemies, and you know that. I wish I could say, when I look at the errors in my life, that it was because my mom and daddy didn't teach me. And that's not right. And I wish I could blame it on the professors I had in college. Well, if they would have gotten through my thick skull better, it would have helped me. And that's not right either. It was my thick skull. And I made it thick, and so on and so forth. You know, I can't blame anything I've done on anybody else. I have to own it. Some of you have been to therapists, and so you understand the language, don't you? You have to own your decision to take responsibility for it. This is exactly the biblical teaching. You've got to own who you are. So when God says, let me help you, one of the things he does is to help us own up to who we are and what we've done and those kinds of things. Back in the Old Testament, you know, I talk a lot about the creation and fall and that story of Adam and Eve. You remember the story, God created the couple. They were perfect and pure. Now some people take this literal history some people say it's a parable or a metaphor. Others say it's a theological narrative, a religious story rooted in history. I tend to think that's the more closer to the truth. It's truth, it's history, but more importantly, it's how God works and how we respond. Adam and Eve were born innocent, and they could do anything they wanted. Do you remember the story? And I was talking to Nate about this earlier. They said, you can do anything you want, just don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I said, okay. And time transpired. We don't know how long. And then the evil one tempted them and said, Are you sure? And they doubted God's word. So, they said, Eh. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So sin entered humanity through that action. So the sin there was twofold. Number one, they disobeyed God. God said, Don't do that. And they did it anyway. So they disobeyed God. That's the root of sin, isn't it? We reject God's leadership. We say, I'm smarter than you are, God. And, and so they entered into that sin. But the bigger sin there, the one that we often miss, and I've struggled with this for years, I think the biggest sin that we see here is they chose knowledge apart from God. 
the tree of knowledge of wisdom of good and evil, they chose knowledge without God's wisdom. Now think about that. Have you ever encountered a really intelligent person that messed up their life? Have you ever read of a scholar who says something so ridiculous it's beyond absurd? Have you ever read of somebody who was intelligent and beautiful and capable and elite and all those kinds of things, and yet whose personal life was a train wreck? Well, of course you have. You see, that's that sin of knowledge without God's direction and wisdom. So when we look at that first couple and what they did, it's exactly us, isn't it? We do things, we're intelligent and capable, but we know, and yet we ignore God anyway. On screen is this idea of spiritual problems. And that is us, isn't it? We read well, most of us. We can read. Or, if you're lazy, you can watch a YouTube video. Have you ever noticed that? There is a YouTube video for everything. If your dog has a problem, you don't call a vet, you go to YouTube. If you're Animals, I have goats, you know that. If your goat has a problem, don't get goats. That will eliminate the problem. But if you get goats and it has a problem, one of our goats came up with a problem this week, what did I do? Well, I went to YouTube. And some little girl told me, well, this is the issue. And I don't know anything about it, but that's what she said. So it must be right, right? Because she's on the internet. But anyway, we have this knowledge of all things. You can literally go to the internet and... YouTube in particular, or TikTok, or whatever. And you can find somebody talking about everything. And so we have that knowledge. But if you pay attention, many times the knowledge is without wisdom. Knowledge without wisdom can get you into trouble, can't it? Discernment, knowing what is right and wrong, and those kinds of things. Those things are difficult. On screen is what shows us the biblical perspective on us. Jesus at one time, God's son, looked over the city and he wept because he didn't see a bunch of horrible people. He saw people that he loved and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Just dumb animals. This isn't a criticism of us. It's an observation, isn't it? We are like sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes we follow good. Sometimes we follow evil. Sometimes we follow that which is smart and capable. Sometimes we follow that which is ignorant and cruel. I wish I could say that every time the masses follow a leader, that it's for good. But you know better than that. History is full of stories of good people following horrible leaders. Sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wasn't being critical when Matthew recorded that. It wasn't an insult. He was just saying that we just, we're broken. There's something wrong with us. One of the most concerning things to me is when you're by yourself and you're thinking at your best, you can know better. But then you get with a crowd and you forget it all. Notice that? Sure. We've talked about January 6th a lot. Not just because it's your birthday, Dave. Happy birthday. But January 6th is a big day in United States history because of the insurrection and all that. You know, and I've got some mixed feelings about that. Was it wrong to do what they did? Of course it was. Beating up guards, breaking down doors. It's all, it, yes. 
But still, you saw a lot of the pictures, didn't you? Grandmas and grandpas taking selfies in front of the building, you know, laughing. And, and I, I have to believe that there were some in the crowd that were evil, yes. Some need to go to jail. But some of them, they just, they just forgot that they were supposed to be law-abiding citizens and they went and did something stupid. And they didn't mean to do that, but, well, they chose the wrong shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. And that doesn't take away their guilt, obviously, but, you know, I'm just saying that sometimes good people do really terrible things. They just get caught up in the moment. Sheep without a shepherd. So what we have to do is be careful not to get caught up in the moment, to follow the wrong leaders, those kinds of things. Another thing, the second one, Paul said this to Christians in the church, when you were pagans, and pagans is an old word for meaning non-Christian, when you were pagans, you were led astray by the dumb, to the dumb idols. Dumb idols was anything that drew their attention and caught their imagination and passion. He said, before you followed Jesus as Savior, you'd follow almost anything. You, you prioritized anything, no matter how dumb it was. And, and that's, again, a picture of us. Allowing things of this world to capture our passion and attention. And they may not necessarily be evil in and of themselves, but they draw us away from God. In ancient cultures, the word for worship meant what got your attention. So it wasn't just a religious concept. It was that, yes. But worship was that which got your attention. So when the Bible says, what do you worship? It's not just talking about gods or God. It's talking about what captures your attention. What means everything to you? What guides you in this life? Is there one thing? Is there a, a passion or something like that? And sometimes I think about professional athletes who sacrifice everything, family, friends, relationships, health, to succeed in, in a sport. And I, I understand that, and I enjoy watching those athletes, but I'm not so sure it's worth it. And I'm not being critical either. I just, just don't know. When you were pagans, you were led astray. We allow things to lead us, don't we? And then Jesus made this observation of his own disciples. Now, these were people who followed him. And all he wanted to do with them that night, this was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he just said, I just want you guys to stay here and pray for me because I've got some tough things coming. That's all they had to do. Stay there and pray. Stop talking. Pray. And he went away and came back. And what were they doing? Well, they'd nodded off. They were tired, you know, and went to sleep. And Jesus made this brilliant observation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Almost funny, but tragic in the same vein. We mean to do the right thing, but why? I mean to cut carbs, but bread is so good. I mean to exercise, but the chair is so comfortable. I mean to pray, but I went to sleep. And so on and so forth, isn't it? The spirit is willing. We mean to do the right thing, but we don't. It's hard to be critical of anybody when you think about it because we are all the same. We are different colors and stripes, of course. Different nationalities and genders and all those things. But we are all the same, aren't we? Sheep without a shepherd. 
willing spirits but weak flesh. Following dumb idols, we're all the same. And see, those are spiritual issues. It has nothing to do with how smart you are or your background or ethnicity or what mama and daddy did. You know, you can blame your parents for, for things when you're 13. When a 13-year-old tells me, well, my mom and dad failed me, that may be right. But when someone 35 years old said, well, my mom and dad didn't teach me that, that's no longer relevant because you're an adult and you have to own up to who you are. You have to accept who you are and take responsibility for it. And when you do that, then God can begin to work with you. Because the moment you recognize, gee, maybe I'm the problem, this is where God inserts that phrase, let me help you. On screen is another passage. It's not a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. Simply, we can be intelligent and moral and technically sophisticated, but without addressing our spiritual problems, we are still broken. I carry this phone because you never know when you might get an important call. You won't. You never know when you might get an important text. You won't. But... Someone might tell you about what they ate for supper last night, and that's important. You know, how it goes. But we carry this thing with us everywhere because we might need what it has. So we recognize that we need something, but we might not recognize why. It's not because we're ignorant. It's because we're broken. We're sinners. Sinners doesn't mean we're bad people. The church hasn't been very good at communicating yet. Sinners mean you live apart from God. It's that simple. It means you're guilty. You're broken. And God says to sinners, let me help you. See, on screen is the truth that comes out of so many passages. Even in our sin and mess, God still cares. And he wants to help us. He sees us, broken as we are, and he wants to help. He loves for us. He cares for us. He values us above all things. And so he did what only he could do. He came up with a plan to help. Now, in the first part of the section that we read, he said, I want you to pray for people, particularly leaders and kings, because they need help. See, it wasn't just knowledge and power. It was wisdom. They're broken. It was a spiritual issue. Prayers are to help you on a spiritual level. God works with you on a spiritual level. God will not tell you how to fix your car. God will not tell you how to play an instrument. God will not tell you how to cook a meal. But he can guide you in how you can live and how you can approach things and that kind of stuff. You see, it's spiritual. And then in the second part of the section, he talks about something different. Follow along with me if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony, born at the proper time. This is what God did. He sent his son, Jesus. Now only God could do that. This wasn't an accident. It was something that God had planned in his mind before we existed. And we don't know all of the answers about how that came about. But what God was doing was his way of helping us. 
So on screen are some ways that Jesus can help us. And these are very simple, but they are enough. First of all, God offers us the idea of salvation. And what that means is, you, human being, have rejected God at some point. You are separated from God. You're a sinner. Just like preachers say. We all are sinners. Preachers do. The idea of salvation offers us a chance to overcome sin in our lives. We come with a burden of guilt to God. And through Jesus, he cleanses us. He gives us a chance to start over. He washes us clean. He looks at us. He goes, okay, you have messed up. And I love you. And if you follow me, I will cleanse you. And that's what salvation is. It's a, it's a very simple thing. It, it's easy to understand on a childlike level. Of course, it can consume you too, as well it should. But it simply means that for all the sins and guilt that you carry, God can cleanse you and forgive you and give you a chance to start over. With that salvation, he gives you scripture. Interesting thing about the scripture, you know, I said earlier that there's knowledge and then there's wisdom. Scripture can guide you into wisdom, but can also give you knowledge. Knowledge about how to live your life, how to handle your money, how to handle your relationships, how to control your tongue, and all those kinds of things that are very practical, have to do with understanding. Scripture can teach you not just about religious stuff, but about how practical things are so spiritual in nature. I was talking to a, an insurance agent just several weeks ago. And we were talking about insurance while I was there. And I was talking about going on Medicare and how it would save the church some money. And he said, wow, I'm surprised you have that concept of stewardship. And stewardship is a religious term for most people. It speaks of the way that as Christians, God wants us to be good stewards of what we've been given. So, when he used that term stewardship, it meant he was thinking on a spiritual level. I said, wait a minute. Are you Christian? He goes, well, yes, I am. And he, was, and he said at one point, he was a financial director for a Catholic diocese, handled all the money for a diocese, and then it was millions of dollars. And he said he was amazed at how many people in the church did not have the concept of stewardship. Stewardship means handing your money, handling your money responsibly and not throwing it away when you don't have to and so on and so forth. And we had a really interesting conversation about how the Bible teaches people how to handle their money. Don't go into debt. Don't borrow when you don't have to. Don't spend more than you have. Save some for the future. Earn what you keep. Work hard. You know, all those basic things of finances, very practical, turns out they're spiritual. They're spiritual reasons, spiritual ways to approach your possessions. And then there's the Holy Spirit. It's hard to understand and explain the Holy Spirit. It is God himself that dwells within the lives of Christians. When you receive Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in. It doesn't mean he takes over. It means he is a guide and an influence. So he takes what you know. When you read scripture, that's knowledge. And the Holy Spirit sometimes gives you wisdom. He helps you to know what to do with that knowledge and how to apply it to your life. Those are gifts that God has given us. Let me help you, God says. And he does that through that essential act of salvation. Another thing, he gives you the church. Sometimes the church fails us. In history, the church has failed oftentimes. And we know that. Great 
disasters and tragedies and inhumanities have occurred because of religious people. When someone tells you that, just acknowledge it. You're right. People are sinners and sometimes the church follows them instead of Jesus. But the church at its best is a place where you can hear God speak. Not just through the preacher, but in Bible studies and in discussions and in the example of other people who are Christian and following Jesus. I know that many of the things that I've learned about Jesus and how to live haven't come from a Bible study, but they've come from examples. Sometimes positive examples, sometimes negative examples of people in the church. They've taught me how to live. They taught me how to talk and act and what not to do and how to act in certain situations. Couldn't get it anywhere else. That was God's plan. Let me help you. Let me give you a place where people like you who need Jesus can get together. And finally, there's this message of grace. Grace means God loves you, period. Nothing you can do will change that, ever. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. That's grace. And when you do something wrong, he'll probably be gracious and forgiving. He may be punishing. Maybe you deserve it. But even in punishment, there is an opportunity for repentance and, and wisdom and a future. I was reading a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament this week. And God was talking through the prophet Jeremiah. And they were in a period of judgment. And yet, the passage of Scripture was a message of hope. Because after judgment, punishment, you learn lessons and hopefully you'll live better. On screen is this passage of scripture to which I refer. Read this with me if you would. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again I will build you. And you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. The nation was in the midst of destruction. They had nothing. They were punished because of their sin. And the prophet was saying, it's going to get better. In essence, God was saying, let me help you. God says that to you today. If you want to be able to say, well, God spoke to me. You can say, God said to me, let me help you. Because that's what he does. When he gives us scripture, he's helping. When he puts someone in front of us that shows us how to live, he's helping. When we go to church and feel God's spirit nudging us in certain ways, God is helping us. Today we're going to share communion. This is a meal, simple meal, that God intends for his people to do. Jesus, before he left, said, listen, when you guys get together, I want you to eat. And, and when you do this, I want you to think of me. Here we are, 2,000 years later, we're going to ask you to join us in communion. It is a way for us to remind ourselves that we follow Jesus, crucified and resurrected Son of God. He died on the cross. He was buried. God brought him back to life. Jesus knew that we would forget, that we would be misled by dumb idols because that's who we are. So he said, when you get together in the church with Christians, do this. I want to help you remember who you are. You're not just good people. You're people who follow Jesus. You've made a spiritual decision to let God work in your life. I'm going to ask that the deacons come and get in their place. Just so you'll know, we do this 
thing of communion, we invite you to come and join us. And I'm not going to ask you any questions. It's between you and God. If you follow Jesus as Savior, join us. If you want God to begin working in your life, join us. In just a moment, we'll have a word of prayer. Then I'll have you stand up. And then as the music begins, you'll come down. You'll get this cup. And you'll notice it's kind of a finicky plastic thing. And you'll figure it out. Now, if you, can't, if you bit off your fingernails or you don't have fingernails, you're going to have to have some help. So look around. Help people who need help. And join with me in the meal. Would you stand with me please as we pray. Father we thank you. For loving us. We know that you say. Let me help you. Thank you. We follow you in faith Father. We ask you would use this meal to nurture and strengthen us in that faith. And help us to make decisions that honor you. And allow you to work with us. Be with us in this meal Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul wasn't at the meal. He wasn't Christian yet. Later he was. So Jesus appeared to him and explained to him what happened. This is what happened, Paul. So Paul tells this story. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He continues the story. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And then he finished the story. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, this meal has a spiritual foundation. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is why we do it. To remind us that Jesus died on the cross and this whole thing of faith that changes life, Scripture and the Holy Spirit and all the things I've talked about, the fact that we can pray for our leaders and it makes a difference, that's all because of Jesus. Paul knows that we forget and leaders in our culture that aren't Christian may misunderstand. Sometimes they are Christian and they misunderstand and, and leaders in our culture that have a microphone and a camera sometimes say things that simply aren't true. So he says, follow me. When you get together, remind yourself of the one who saved you. And that's what we've done today. Nate's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation and communion. It's a time for you to make some kind of decision about what God wants to do in your life. If you're Christian and you have no particular decisions, great. Continue to pray that God would work with you and in the lives of others. You may have other decisions to make to receive Christ as Savior, to join this church, to turn your life around. If you want to make that public, you can by coming forward. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us.
Thank you. Dead battery. Who knew? Thanks, Mila. Uh, be in prayer for this church, for our nation in this new year. Lots of things going on. The news isn't pretty about the world's condition. Nothing's changed, really. Pray that God can begin a new work within you. Bob, would you come and lead us? Remember on your way out, we always take a special offering for benevolence. It goes directly to help people in need. All right, let us pray. God, as we venture into this new year, new ideas, new resolutions, new lifestyles, let us never forget the tried and true. You, your power of prayer, the belief in you, the miraculous things that you can do. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.